Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode. All right. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of State of Sport Management. This is one I'm definitely really excited about. I like these more meta topics to allow people to kind of perceive them as they want. I think this is going to be a topic that'll be interesting for full professors to incoming doctoral students. And I made sure to bring in someone that I've been wanting to connect with a long time. And he is a big, big name in our field. I think one of the few people that have really broken into top journals, even outside of sport management, but also into big business journals as well. So today we have Dr. Marvin Washington, who's full professor in the Department of Strategy, Entrepreneurship and Management at the University of Alberta. And he is here to join us to kind of talk about, we're gonna talk a lot about sport management journals, like impact legacy of those journals. And then also a little bit of his decision-making process on where he submits manuscripts, depending on what area, whether that's sport management, business or others. So Dr. Washington, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and he uh, he's had the fortunate or unfortunate situation becoming apparent during this COVID situation. And so I'm sure he's uh, exhausted and uh, he foolishly accepted this uh, request for me. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> no worries. I mean, having a baby at home, the good news is every day is the same day. So <laughs> it's like 51st dates, but for it is. Yeah. And he's in a good mood today. So we got plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I reached out to Dr. Washington a while back because I've been going through some NASA stuff, looking for some bigger topics. And this is something that's been on my burner for a while, talking about the direction of our field. And especially from a scholarship standpoint, it's a little bit trickier to think about it from a programmatic standpoint because every program has different goals, but the journals like Journal Sport Management or Sport Management Review or whatever is your important journals are all having to decide a direction or a narrative that they want to take on that. So um, the thing to kind of start us off is I've noticed there's been quite a bit of growth of new um, and emerging maybe niche or bigger topic sport management journals. And I kind of wanted to tee us off on that. I mean, do you think that's a good thing or bad thing that we are seeing a large growth of journals within our field? That's a, that's such a great question. Uh, I think that's a really good thing for the field because I think the growth of journals, if it lags the growth of research, then that's good. Because what that means is that there is a lot of good research out there and journals, JSM, EMSQ, SMR can only publish so many in a year. And so at some point, the question is, what do you do with the really, really good journals or submissions that can't get into the journal just because they can only publish so many in a year? The creation of new journals fills that niche. And they're saying, instead of throwing away what's really good research, why not put it into another journal, the same high quality, uh, high standard uh, uh, research output, if you will. I think it's a negative if the new journals are leading in terms of there isn't a abundance of great quality research. This is just a journal that says, you know what? Uh, either with predatory pricing or either with uh, 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 subscriptions. I think there's a money opportunity here because people are going to want to publish and they'll publish in my journal. Because so I think that will actually hurt the field because then we won't have a way to tease apart what's great scholarship versus not great scholarship. I think for sport management, we're in the place where there is uh, 
a growth in the field of good research. And I think it's a good thing that we have other outlets to put that good research. And this kind of leads to an interesting question. I know, Marvin, you've been and had roles within editors. I mean, is there ever a time that you feel like, wow, really, I can tell my submissions that are coming into the journal are getting better and better and better. And then we have limitations from our publisher about how much we can publish. I mean, did you ever feel that way? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. During my uh, six years at JSM, because you're three years as like senior associate editor then three years as the editor. So during my six years, I think the worry was more so uh, a lot of good starts of papers that I think uh, you would probably have in the past have given an R&R to, and then you don't want to sort of uh, be frustrated or frustrate them with three and four and five versions of something that just won't get there. I think the worry, again, I'm not generalizing to all editors, but when I was editor, my worry was always, oh my God, do I have great papers? So then what that would lend me to wanna to do is to be overly encouraging, overly supportive. Oh, I see half of a kernel here. I see a little bit of a diamond here. And if you just take off all of the stuff around it, this thing will emerge. Well, then what happens? For some of papers, the great thing emerges after one round. Awesome, amazing. Unfortunately, you get to three, you get to four, you get to five rounds, and then you just feel bad. You just feel like, you know, we're, we're stretching this out. It's going to frustrate you, the submitter, because you may eventually not get the realization of this. I think what's happening in my time, I see more and more papers that make that first hurdle, that make that second hurdle. And that's good for our field. That means there are people that are submitting that's read the research that means there are people that are submitting that understands the journal. And so now that they understand the journal, they understand what the demands of the journals are, what the requirements for a good paper look like. So I think it's becoming, uh, if I am an author, it's becoming easier to get past that first hurdle. I think if I'm the editor, it's becoming harder to tease apart if this is above the first hurdle just because it's written well. They have a research question, they have a research answer, they have a accepted methods, or is this over the first hurdle because they're making a contribution? And I think that tension, I see it as a reviewer now that I'm having to review papers uh, and read three, four, five times to make sure that I'm not impressed just because it's written nicely. It tells a good story. But instead to make sure I find merit here because it's actually making a contribution. And I think the evolution, right? I mean, I'm not somebody who's been in this field 30 years, but in my sort of 20-year journal in the sport management field, I see that evolution. I see that more and more papers are nicely written, well-done scholarship, and it's really pushing me to say, I have to actually make sure there's a contribution there. Was I think 20 years ago, it was easier to reject in some sense because they just weren't written well. Or it was easy to reject because they didn't have the data to answer their questions. Or it was easy to reject because the answer wasn't the question they started out with. So there wasn't a, a fit between the front end and the back end of the papers. I think those are becoming harder to reject. I mean, those are becoming harder to have reasons to reject. And now you have to actually look at what is the contribution, which is good for our field. It puts pressure on editors and reviewers, though, to actually be able to tease that apart. 
Yeah, so I'm almost taking it that it seems like our field maybe has improved in scholarship, but maybe that scholar, that improvement's more focused on like writing skills, organization, framing, but we still have leaps and bounds to make theoretically wise or empirically wise. I mean, you think that's yeah. fair? I think that's fair, right? And again, and this is where uh, I used to tell my graduate students that the field does not need another paper to show that there is isomorphism in some small population of NCAA coaches. In some sense, we've done that. And so unless you can tell me that the coaches in the Big Ten are substantially different than the coaches in the Pac-12 are substantially different than the coaches in the SEC, I think we have enough studies now to sort of say, I interviewed a bunch of coaches, here's the thing, and we find isomorphism. That's what theory suggests. What theory is telling us is that we think there'll be isomorphic processes in NCAA coaches at large in some sense. So no need to just do an interesting study of your 12 coaches. I think the field has moved on from those, thankfully. And I think that's a maturity of the field. I think uh, uh, PhD students are becoming better trained. And so they're coming out understanding that just because they happen to have a sample of data they talk to nine coaches, they talk to six athletes, doesn't necessarily mean they've made a contribution to the field. And I think that's a good thing for our field. That shows our field has matured. Interesting. And talking about this growing in journals, one thing I've noticed is there seems to be journals that are growing to fill like a specific niche topic. Like, um, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but like mm -hmm. journals, like sport for development is a, is a new emerging area, but I've also noticed that now there's a journal for sport for development. I mean, do you think it's better for a field to have that kind of growing wide, as I call it, like on the various topics, or should we be yeah. trying to get a uh, fourth or fifth major journal that comes up and fills in with that JSM, SMR, ESMQ major, like broad discussion? That is such a great question, right? And I think it's such a great question because it's a question that all fields struggle with. I think management, psychology, sociology, the mainstream disciplines, in addition to the sport management, sport, you know, development disciplines, right? And the question is generalist versus niche. Uh, I think that uh, uh, fields in terms of uh, scholarship in a specific area probably grows quicker in a niche space. And the conferences used to be that niche space, right? So it would make total sense that if you and I had a great idea and we wanted to study sport, e-sport, I'm making this up, e-sport impact on diverse populations. Let's say that was the idea we wanted to study. Well, it'd be tough to get enough of an interest in that in a NASM or in a SMANS area because they have enough other topics they want to bring to forth. But if we had a specialty conference, we'd find quickly all the other scholars interested in doing that. I think the niche journals are starting to fill that space. I think the niche journals are starting to say, you know, I really want to speak to the other people that are doing exactly the type of research I'm doing as a way to build the scholarship in this area quickly. The challenge is, is that it becomes pigeonholed. And that all of a sudden you create silos so you never get research across these subdisciplines. And it becomes really hard to get interesting intersections. So go back to this made up uh, e-sport uh, research and diverse populations. Well, you can imagine some research that may be only about e-sport 
they may end up saying, well, I don't know if I go there because I don't have the diverse populations. You have some people that study diverse populations. They may say, well, I'm not really focused on eSport, so I won't go there. So this journal, which was a great idea in the beginning, let's build the scholarship quickly, becomes totally siloed and becomes defined by this thing. And then they have a hard time getting uh, a broader audience or a harder time connecting to more mainstream journals. Again, it's, a, it's such a great question in terms of if you and I were to create a journal, would we create a generalist journal and then fight the status hierarchy or would we create a specialist journal and then hope that we get enough status in some sense that we can broaden our, uh, our, our scope? I like the idea of the niche journals because I do think if I had a graduate student and they wanted to learn what was cutting edge in an area, I would probably direct them toward those niche journals because at least they would understand what the emerging questions are. And, and this kind of, and one thing I've been concerned about is, and I don't know the background, so I don't know which ones of these were established first, but I think of like journal sport management, a lot of programs within sport management have like a sport econ class, but there's like a, so there's a journal sport economics. Mm -hmm. And so I worry about like if journal sport economics is now well-established and it's a great journal. I do wonder now, does, does that mean journal sport management viewers might be more willing to say if they got a sports econ paper, like, Hey, really, this should be going to journal sports economics, if that turns into certain program or niche journals become so good and they raise up, like you said, but then it turns into, okay, you should stay out of the general journal because you have a really good journal type thing. Yeah. So, so to me, this is having been someone who's published in multiple types of journals. So organizations, journals, management journals, sport journals, uh, uh, college focused journals, so NCAA spoke focused journals. I focus published in a lot of places. The advice that was given to me by my advisor is to go where the conversation is. Because if you go back to why I'm publishing, I'm publishing because I'm trying to engage in a conversation with other people that are also publishing. And so then the question for me is, where are the conversations happening? So if I'm publishing a sport economics uh, article, I'm submitting that article. And if I look back in JSM and there is no thread at all, there is no connection to we've published something. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, I'm not arguing in some sense self-citations. I don't mean it in that way. But I mean, in terms of has this question ever come up in this journal? Uh, has this idea of this area or this phenomena ever come up? And if the answer is no, then you're going to, in theory, get a paper accepted that will never get picked up because the people that read that journal aren't going to follow that thread. And so, so in some sense, you do craft a research for the intended audience. And I think the audience of the journals uh, are different, even the ones that overlap, JSM, SMR, EMSQ. They still have slightly different audiences. They probably still uh, communicate in slightly different theoretical perspectives, and that's healthy. That's diversity. That's growth of the field. We'd want that. I do think it's on you, the author, as you are thinking about where to publish this, to be thinking about the conversation. Uh, that, to me, was one of the most frustrating responses from authors when I would reject their work. Because the rejection of the work would basically be, I don't see how this contributes to sort of the conversation we're having in JSM, which seems fair. And let's go extreme. Some people, their papers were like, 
so far afield from the journal because JSM has a big tent, but they were still outside of the tent. Well, they would come back and want to argue in terms of, but this is important research. I don't know if it is an important research. I don't see how it connects to the conversation. And so there's lots of important research, for example, that has nothing to do with sport, has nothing to do with sort of broad management or business. It has nothing to do broadly with like the types of things we're interested in. Doesn't mean it's not an important conversation. And that might be my sort of education in some sense coming from the management, sociology, psychology world. And so growing up in that field, we would have debates a lot about the American Journal of Sociology versus the Academy of Management. Well, there are lots of papers that in theory could go to either one. But in practice, you're writing for two totally different audiences. You have two totally different styles of papers, types of questions, and it doesn't do you any good to think you're going to take a reject from Academy of Management Journal and just change the submission and shove it into American Journal of Sociology. That's not a good strategy. And I think too often we play that strategy in sport management and we don't think about how might this conversation, how might the presentation of the data need to look different because it's now going to a different conversation. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be the first to say, I definitely haven't thought as hard about what my paper should read narrative wise or a conversation with like ESMQ or SMR, JSM. I have been trying to break into the business journals and I definitely try to learn as much as I can reading, like for example, journal business ethics, who's published mm -hmm. some sport management stuff. Mm -hmm. But have you ever felt like there's a journal that should be talking about something sport management related, but isn't, and you feel that that should be part of the discussion. Like I'll just use uh, mm -hmm. like journal management. That's a real mm -hmm. big business journal. I haven't seen very much sports stuff in there, but have you ever submitted something to a journal like that and say, this should be part of the conversation? Yeah. yeah. Well, I will, I think the biggest difference between a empirical focused journal and sport is a empirical domain. That's what brings us all together, right? And so I'm not going to try to submit to the Journal of Sport Management a paper about Fortune 500 CEOs and how to deal with their board. Maybe a wonderful paper, but there's no sport in the context at all. Now, if I was going to talk about... Uh, uh, Fortune 500 CEOs and how they deal with their sport, their uh, marketing campaigns of sport events. Maybe that goes in. But just a pure management journal doesn't go in. Well, you can imagine if I'm now in the management journal, there are dozens, hundreds of different empirical settings that think they can speak to management because they're talking about the management of their empirical setting. What then makes the journal of management hold together is the theoretical interest. And I think that's a place where the sport management journals uh, haven't pushed the theory ahead enough. Again, I'm just as guilty. I'll go back to, I do a lot of work in institutional theory. Uh, I think we are beyond now saying, here is a concept in institutional theory that was pushed, uh, born, uh, legitimized in the Main Street Management Journal. I wanna see if that's true in sport management. So whatever the concept of institutional entrepreneurship, institutional logics, we now know it works. Let me see if it works for sport coaches. Well, that's not going to get into a mainstream management journal because they're going to say, we already know this theory. The fact that it hasn't been proven with sport coaches is no big deal. Because if you think what theories are, theories say we expect, 
unless there's something totally unique, we expect that this empirical setting would perform the way others do. Why? Because of our understanding of the theory. And so I think to me, if you're going to get into a journal of management, if you're going to get into a sport management review, if you're going to get into an administrative science quarterly, you really think you have a theoretical understanding or a theoretical uh, extension you're trying to make. And I think that's where so many people in sports struggle with, is that they haven't really thought about the theory, almost as if I'm going to write this as if this is a theory paper. And then just to highlight the theory, I have some data to show how the theory makes or doesn't make sense. We tend to write empirical papers, and then we add theory just to make sure that what we're saying can generalize to other settings, or we're drawing it from a general understanding of other settings. And going back to something you said earlier, of talking about the discussion at hand and whether it fits in, like reviewers and editors especially have some control over that discussion. Obviously, re reviewers work as a function of what is the discussion, and then editors also provide some guidance on that. I mean, mm -hmm. how, especially on a, like the, looking at the journal side, like what steps are available for journals to potentially raise or profile or even move to absorb a new content or mm -hmm. anything along those lines? And how can editors play a part in that? Yeah, editors play a big part in that, bigger than we probably realize in terms of one, just signaling who the editor is signals that because we're all human. And so to the degree that there is no one person that reads everything, the profile, the background, the research of the editor probably will give some insight into what are things that will be easy to sort of have the editor understand because most editors read the paper the first time, a quick glance in order to think, is this a desk reject? Or uh, the editor will say, well, I don't understand this theory. Why? Because I have no experience in this theory or this phenomenon or this data set. So that's why I like the fact that many editors are now going with senior associate editors. Because now what the editor is saying is, well, I don't want this journal to only reflect me. And even if it's not, if I'm not doing it uh, strategically, I'm doing it from a blind, from a blind spot. From a blind spot, I'm going to read a paper and go, I don't understand this at all. Is that because the paper is hard to understand? Or is that because I literally don't understand it? I'm limited in my understanding of the concepts. Well, if I have enough senior associate editors that are diverse from me, come from different backgrounds, I'm management, they're marketing, they're finance, uh, somebody does qualitative research, somebody does quantitative research. Well, somebody does survey, somebody does, does big data. If I have enough people in some sense with a diversity, then we're going to grow what gets put in because we'll have ability to place this article or this submission to the right senior editor or the right handling editor. Once we can do that, then they'll have a better chance of finding the right reviewers. We take, I know I took my job seriously and I imagine we all did as editors. The idea of finding the right reviewers is so important. So I'm going to turn it the other way. If you want to grow a certain topic in your field, say yes to all the papers that are asking you to review. <laughs> because if you're the expert in this niche area, you're the ones that need to review all of these papers. If you have me reviewing a paper that's in a very niche area, I'm not going to have the level of understanding of why this is an advance on some theoretical construct as you will. I'm amazed at how many people turn down papers to review. 
basically by turning down a paper to review, they're saying, I'd rather have someone who is not as smart or expert as me review this paper. Because as an editor, I am literally going after what I think are the A hitters. I mean, we all have the same, someone from the editorial board, someone who's an expert in the field, and then maybe the third person is a junior reviewer who are trying to grow to become one of the other two. So we spend countless hours doing that, except the review. That's going to push this area that you think needs to be pushed or want to be pushed. And yeah, not to delve too much into this editorial stuff, but I mean, I'm sure you pick out and notice certain reviewers that are really good. Uh, yeah. They're providing great feedback. I mean, is that, I mean, is there certain people that you really elevate to like, these are our, our rock star reviewers and yeah. they provide the best guidance for us on this? And that's how you get on the editorial board. I mean, in terms of, in some sense, again, that's all we have, right? If you think about the actual submission process, everyone that submits their paper, they think they're submitting a great paper. All you have as the editor is you have the choice of who you think are expert enough to assess if this is a great paper. And then you have the idea of if there is some uh, question mark about the paper, I think these are the people that can help guide the process through. And so when you become a really good reviewer, we're basically saying we want to use more of you. So instead of giving you the one review a year or the two review a year, we might give you six, seven, or eight to review in a year. Well, what's the exchange for that? We'll give you the status of being on the editorial board. And so again, that's usually how the process goes. And so we are, that, that's what matters, right? In some sense. And again, I go back to, so then if I really wanted this mythical esport and diversity uh, subfield, to move ahead, then I'm going to look for journals that have people on the editorial board that have some expertise in these areas. That's what I'm going to submit it to. That's who I'll probably get as one of the reviewers. I am then going to, when I'm being asked to review, especially if it's in this area, I'm going to say yes, because I think I know something about how to push these papers ahead. Five, six, seven years. If I've done my job right, I've published papers in the area, I start getting right on the editorial boards. All of a sudden now, if I'm invited on mainstream journals, that's going to signal to others in the same area that that may be a place to submit this paper. So I do. I, and I do this of every paper I submit. When I submit to a journal, I look at who's on the editorial board, and I look at who I want to review this paper. Because I think that's the person that best understands the theory or best understands the concept. And I go back and look at the paper and I say, I wonder if I've signaled that. I wonder if I've signaled that this paper is really about changing institutional logics. Because if I've done that, then the editor is going to say, who are my institutional logic reviewers to invite to review this paper? So often we submit a paper to a journal, but again, we're not involved and engaged in that conversation. So then the editor and the reviewers go, I don't understand this paper and why it's being submitted here. Mm, okay. And I mean, now to kind of put the head on or like the shoe on the other foot for say, of thinking about you as the author and deciding where mm -hmm. to submit. Now you talked about yeah. paying attention to the journals and, and the discussion they're having. I mean, what's the decision-making process you go through when you're practicing, whether trying to decide where you should submit a paper. And then on top of that, I'd also like to know like how early on within a project you decide, okay, this is the direction we're going. Yeah, so, so, so I probably early on 
don't know where I'm going to submit the paper because I wanted to go to the uh, the most broadest, biggest reach ever in the beginning. If it's a project that's initiated by me. So let me start there. So this is going to be a Washington and or it's a project I'm thinking of, I'm initiating. Then I'm probably thinking, what's the biggest reach? For me, I grew up in a management field. So I'm thinking the Academy of Management Journal. I'm thinking administrative science quarterly. I'm going to start there. Even with sport data, I'm going to start there. So now the question is, how do I decide? Where it really is a function of how the project unfolds. We all have, if it's a quantitative paper, we think our results are going to be significant. And we think that the nuances in the 13 variables are going to be significant. Well, at some point we realize we can't get the data. And so all of a sudden now, I don't have the data to make the grand contribution I want to make. I have data to make a slightly different contribution I want to make. Or it's a qualitative paper. And I think we're going to push this theory 14 steps down the road. I think that, oh, my God, this study I'm going to do is going to totally change our thinking about institutions. And at the end of the project, I realized it's not changing the field, you know, uh, BCAD. It's changing the field 2020 to 2021. That's the incremental change. Well, okay, then that's probably not going to ASQ. Now, where might this paper go? But I have some really amazing insights at the sport level. Great, great sport level insights that I think may help people that are in the field of sport. Some theoretical insights. Now I'm in the sport management world versus general management world. And then I go to which conversation? I literally go to if I, as a uh, uh, person that reads this journal, SMR, EMSQ, uh, Journal of Sport and Social Issues, SSJ, if I'm the person that reads this, I'm probably involved in a certain conversation. I think this is the best place for that conversation. That's how I tend to choose. A lot on the front end in terms of the crafting of the research and then a ton probably post-conference, right? Back when we used to go to conferences, uh, I would use conferences for this process. I would think, okay, I'm going to submit this to NASM. I'm going to submit this to a sports sociology conference. I may submit this to Academy of Management conference and see what kind of reception I get. See what types of questions I get in the audience. See if people are resonating. Oh, this is amazing. Or people go, yeah, we sort of already know this and use that filter in some sense to decide one more step. And one thing I wanted to ask is, I know there's a big change from going to business journal to sport management or vice versa. I mean, what about inside sport management? So let's say you submitted a paper to journal sport management and it isn't accepted there and you decide that your ultimate option is like ESMQ. I mean, do you make a lot of changes, but what about if it goes from like sport management to like SSJ? Yeah. Like I'm sure there probably is more change. And so there, for but. me, I do. I, I, I would not go as far as to say I write a whole new paper. I, I'm not going to make it sound like that. But I do need to think through. And this is, I used to be on the editorial board of this journal called Group and Organizational Management, GOM. They pretty much only published group level phenomena down to individual phenomena. I would get a paper because I was the org theory person on the board. I would get a paper that had something to do with like macro org theory. And I would look in the back and they didn't have a single reference to any paper in the journal of group and organizational management, which signaled to me that 
they didn't even try to link what they were doing to stuff that's already being done. So why do you think we, the journal, want this paper? Because it's not a conversation we're a part of. It's not a set of reviewers that we're connected to. We don't think the people that read this journal would read this paper. And so again, I don't mean this at the at the extreme of like self-citations. You must put in so many EMSQ sites. I don't mean it that way. I do mean in terms of the conversation. I do mean in terms of who are you going to get as reviewers for this paper on the editorial board? If no one on the editorial board would review or work in this area you're publishing, then why would you submit there? And so for me, I do shape the paper for the journal in that way. I think through the last two years of SMR has the conversation I'm wanting to create loosely been brought up. Has there been someone that's talked about these ideas? Has there been some scholarship done in this area? I do that work. And then in my doing of that work, I try to signal that in the paper. And so that's, that's, that's what I would do. And I do think uh, my job as the author, again, uh, I can produce research that's good research and I can uh, expose that research to the field. I go to a conference, I share my research. As soon as I want that research to get published in the journal, I am engaged in a relationship with that journal. And to me, my job, I think, is to show the relationship to that specific journal because that's why I'm choosing that journal. Uh, lastly, the world gets really, really small. And if you are a reviewer in a special area, think about how pissed off you would be if you rejected this paper at JSM, and then you get the exact same paper, they didn't do any of the stuff that you suggested in your rejection, and you now get it at EMSQ. <laughs> in theory, that meant the system worked. That meant that the editor of JSM saw you as an expert, so they identified you for the paper, and lo and behold, the editor of EMSQ also saw you as an expert, so they identified you as a paper, for the paper. So the theory on the back end, editors, the review system worked if you get the same paper. You'd really be pissed off if you saw that they didn't fix anything. They didn't make any changes to this paper. They just said, screw you, Matt, at JSM, not realizing they're going to get you, Matt, at SMR. That's yeah. why you got to make some changes. That's why you got to make some adjustments to say, what are the lessons learned as I move forward? The lessons learned should fit now where you're going. Gotcha. I mean, anything else you add in here, especially for like doc students that are thinking about trying to climb the mountain with those big journals, like especially within our field? Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's, my advisor gave me this weird advice because I'm in a business school and I'm studying college sports, right? He says, I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound really weird, but it's going to haunt you. You need to be an expert in the empirical setting but don't fall in love with the empirical setting. I need to be an expert in the empirical setting because I need to understand my data. I need to totally understand what I mean by whatever phenomenon I'm studying. But as soon as I fall in love with the data, then I'm not making any contribution to theory. And I think even the sport management journals, we're mature now. I mean, these journals are in, they're measured in decades old. They're no longer one, two, three years old. I think it's time to start making a theoretical contribution, even in JSM, in SMR, in EMSQ. I think so often what we do is we say, 
oh, I read this interesting paper and this paper has uh, data that was done in this setting. Oh, let me take data I have and try to do the same study. There is zero theoretical contribution there. As a doctoral student, I would really say, how am I gonna push the theory along? What am I doing to sort of move? And it may just be a, a minus, a modest move. Again, 2020, 2021, that's a modest move. I don't mean it has to be a groundbreaking move, but to spend some time on that. My last words, how do you do that? Read widely in the theory. So read, and when I was getting into graduate school, we read beyond just management journals. We had to read in the sociology theory. We had to read in the economics literature because that was our parent discipline in some sense. If you're in a sport management field, I think you should read in the management journals, in the management literature. I'd say the same thing for sport finance, read in the finance literature, the finance journals, same kind of idea. And kind of finish up here, I always try to ask like a fun question. I mean, what's someone, who's someone you met at a conference and you really geeked out about, whether like as a doc student or even potentially as a younger scholar? Like, who oh, was geez, that person? I'll give it? you, like, I'll give you two. Uh, the first one was, uh, when I was in graduate school, uh, the paper that probably encouraged me to become a professor more than anything was a paper by a guy named Alan Meyer, because it was such a great paper. He was studying something in hospitals, and then in the three hospitals. That was the research he was trying to do. And then overnight, the nurses and doctors went on strike. Instead of going, instead of going oh my God, I've lost this great research site, he changed his study to be basically, what do you do in hospitals when doctors and nurses go on strike? Paper ended up getting published. I thought, good, I think I can do that as a scholar, first year graduate student. I really thought, okay, I think I could potentially, you know, uh, talk to people in organizations in the sort of mundane part of it, not like this great theory, I'm on the mountaintop, ta-da kind of thing, right? And I'm at the Academy of Management, first year student, and I see the name, you know, Meyer, Alan Meyer on his name tag. I remember sort of getting the courage up to go talk to him. And I go, hi, you're Alan Meyer. I'm Marvin Washington. I just wanted to say your paper really shaped me. And he was like, for real? Let me sit down and talk to you. And it was the most like, <laughs> like, I almost asked for his autograph in some sense, right? So that was positive. Other side, uh, my dissertation and uh, my first paper I published in a management journal was about status processes. And I'm in an argument with Joel Padoni, who had written about five years earlier, a paper on status. And literally, graduate student, I'm reading this paper, I just disagreed. I thought that what he was saying in the paper, I disagreed with in terms of how status works. Long story short, uh, I'm giving a job talk at Stanford. And guess who's in the audience? Joel Padoni. And I literally have slides to say, while Padoni said this, I disagree in my slides. <laughs> and I had this sweat that come down. I'm trying to, you know, look decent and smart in my talk kind of thing. And at the end, he came up to me and said, that's a really good research talk, really good paper. I, I disagree with your disagreement, but I see how you got there, which really helped me to understand that, you know, uh, uh, the research is how we move forward. We do have debates and discussions and agreements and that kind of thing. That's how it moves forward. And so I've taken that sort of both of those. Uh, uh, 
Uh, I still geek out at people I see at conferences. Again, back when we used to go to conferences, uh, my first sport management conference was sort of like that because Lucy Tebow was there and I had heard of her, the great Lucy Tebow. I'd heard of her name and I remember walking over to see her and being a little bit intimidated by her because I'd never met her before. Same thing. You know, the, it was a great experience with people. So I still get that because I think it's really cool that people I don't know write papers and I get to read their work kind of thing. We get to actually see and talk to them. So I find that process still fascinating now. Yeah, I love those two examples because there is some stress about, well, first time you go to conference meeting someone that you read a paper or like recognize their name, like, oh, wow, Mary Hums. Like, I, yeah. I know exactly who you are because I've read your stuff. Uh, then there's a whole nother stress level of going in and go like, man, I've never met this Martin Washington guy, but I'm about to tell him that like everything he yes. wrote three years. <laughs> Literally, ago. yes. And yeah. then, he, I'm about then to... Marvin Washington walks in yeah. and you see the name tag and you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found a flaw in this paper <laughs> that I'm going to expose and you're sitting there. Yeah. Exactly. I just delete these two slides where I say this work is not right. So I can just, <laughs> yeah. just move along. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. Well, that's a good stopping point for us, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Washington. Thanks for joining us on this. This is a really fun and good conversation. I think a lot of people are going to find this uh, helpful. Excellent. And again, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me and the project. I think this is a neat uh, uh, legacy work that I think hopefully post things like COVID, when we all get back together again, we still dive into things like this, where we take advantage of the fact that we're all at home. And since we're all at home, why not interact with each other in a way that expands the field and encourages others to sort of do great research, which is what we're trying to do. Yeah, no, I definitely have a vision. It'd be cool to be at NASA and being able to do one of these like live recordings or something as part yeah. of that, but that NASA would have to be in person for, for that to yeah. come to fruition. But <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, thanks to all the listeners out here for State of Sport Management podcast. Uh, we hope you really enjoyed this episode and look forward to you joining us for the next one.